Hi, welcome to Pulling the Threads, a podcast dedicated to understanding the story behind our clothes. I'm your host, Jancy Quinn, and this podcast will follow my adventures in learning more about sustainable apparel and exploring how we can all have beautiful things without harm. I'm a reform fashion addict and overshopper, but also a lifelong sewer, maker, and lover of the outdoors and our environment. A few years ago, I realized that as beautiful as fashion can make you feel, the industry can be pretty ugly for the people who make our clothes and for the planet. I'm now on a mission to learn about what it means to have eco-friendly, mindful, sustainable, or socially conscious apparel, whichever term you prefer. My goal with this podcast is that we'll learn together, share ideas, and talk about the positive changes we can all make. So let's get started and pull the first thread. We said, if it's got an Eileen Fisher logo in it, we want it back. When it's at the end of its useful life, we'll take it back and we'll figure out the most responsible thing to do with it. My next adventure took me to the Eileen Fisher Renew sorting facility, located just outside of downtown Seattle. It's one of two locations that sorts and cleans for their take-back program when a customer is done with the item. They bring it here to be sorted, cleaned, and either sold or used for other purposes. I had a chance to tour the space, see the process, and most importantly, talk with three incredible women that work there. This episode is all about the practices that Eileen Fisher has pioneered and how they value every item of clothing by giving it a second life. Eileen Fisher is a brand that I've long respected, and as I've learned more and more about them, I've actually come to hold them in my mind as the leader in the sustainable apparel space. This episode was recorded last year, in the spring of 2019. I'm actually glad to release it now, because as we sit in the midst of a global COVID-19 pandemic, companies are being forced to rethink business as usual. And I'm personally seeing friends and people on social media rethinking necessities, abundance, and starting to value what they already own instead of just continuing to consume out of mindless habit. I'm also seeing more and more traditional media outlets shine a light on the fashion industry and the harm that it causes people and the planet. This is definitely a time to rethink a lot of aspects of our lives. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I hope you'll take something away from it and learn about an incredible company, as well as a few ideas of ways that you can also help to make a difference with your own apparel choices. I'm Carrie Uloa. I'm the marketing and brand specialist to the Take Back and Resale program, Renew. And I've been here for about six years. And I'm Annie Lusk. I'm the Recycle Center leader. And I've been with Eileen Fisher for off and on for almost 15 years. But I've been with Renew for five. My name is Lila Horowitz, and I am the creative lead for Renew. And I have been with the company for four years. What is Eileen Fisher Renew? What do you guys do here? Yeah, I'll start. Um, Renew is a take back and resale program of Eileen Fisher. Our program was launched in 2009. We said, if it's got an Eileen Fisher logo in it, we want it back. When it's at the end of its useful life, we'll take it back and we'll figure out the most responsible thing to do with it. Since on a municipal level, on an industrial level, there is no really good recycling options for apparel. So over the last 10 years, the scope of the work has kind of changed. Um, But today, you know, the fundamentals is... Um, We have a recycling center in Seattle, one in Irvington, New York, where we collect, sort, grade, clean, and store uh, all the items taken back to our program. And to date, it's been about 1.2 million units collected. 
which is no small accomplishment. Yeah. That's incredible. Can you tell me just like, how does it work? What happens when people bring something back to the store? So we give $5 credit on a gift card per item um, in any condition. The main purpose to keep these clothes out of the landfill. Uh, customers can bring it back to the store um, or they can to any Eileen Fisher store or they can send it to us. Um, we get everything west of the Mississippi. And then we sort through it all and put it into different categories. Sellable, um, first quality, uh, and then we also sell flawed product um, that we call not quite perfect. And then we have chalk, which is like raw materials. And so you try and reuse, everything's kind of repurposed or resold. You, you use everything? The intention is yeah. to eventually use everything. We're doing a lot of um, kind of in various stages of R&D around what happens with the garments that are damaged beyond wearability or kind of direct use as the garment that they currently are. Um, you know, we, we sort into good as new, slightly damaged for NQP sales, as Annie was saying, and then everything else is, is sort of either it's treated like it's a future textile, whether it's broken down and spun into a new yarn and woven into a new sweater, or if it's um, cut up and felt, put through an industrial felting machine and turned into a new fiber that way by making, um, they call it industrial felt, is close to what's coming out of there. So we have a, um, a group in New York that's working on this within the company, and they're making some really exciting strides in the arena. Um, mostly looking at architectural uses for it so home goods and um, like pillow covers and couch covers and wall hangings and um, there's there's conversations around it being like a um, sound buffer and barrier in um, like office spaces or you know businesses like restaurants will often have these kind of barriers for sound on them and having a double purpose um, it's called design work um, is what that kind of new branch of the company is and it's where we're starting to sort a lot of textiles that are too heavily damaged to resell into a category that goes towards them um it seems like as a company you guys source natural fibers to begin with so it's a lot easier to reuse and recycle them it gets a lot more difficult it seems like when there's blends if you have like a poly cotton blend it's a lot harder yeah. to go back to a raw fiber yeah i mean so much of what we say like the sort is the most important part of what we do it's kind of the first time the clothes are inspected and touched and looked at and and that's where we kind of deem what happens to them next but the reason that so much of it and annie you know is maybe like 40 percent is first quality and you know we really attribute that to the high quality fibers and the kind of um quality of production in the first run and the kind of timelessness of the designs like that they still feel really relevant we're not getting a lot of suits back with big shoulder pads and like that kind of thing going on it feels yes. like these clothes still can live again even though it's maybe been 15 years since they were originally produced part of the reason people want to buy Eileen Fisher clothes yeah. secondhand as well as they are such timeless pieces and such amazing fabric. It, it seems to just work so well for Eileen Fisher specifically. Yeah, and I think to that, or the inverse of that, is there's that's the main reason why a lot of other brands aren't doing this work. I mean, certainly to build the infrastructure around you know inbound logistics and dedicated company-owned recycling centers and you know distribution channels to build all this is a lot of work. Surely. You know, you, you can't 
fund all that in a profitable way um, if your resale value isn't at a high enough price per unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also if just the design of the clothes, you know, as Lila was saying, if they're, you know, trendy and don't make sense in the secondary market or like won't sell in the secondary market, then, you know, this model isn't really like a end of life solution, you know, for, for all brands. We talk a lot about how, you know, and Eileen Fisher kind of talk about high quality materials and it feels a little bit like, um, yeah, just like good marketing until you see something like this and you realize it's kind of proof positive. Like this is the kind of that value proposition incarnate. Definitely. And if you guys have you, do you share your model with any other companies? Well, that's a really interesting thing that's kind of trickled down from Eileen, I think. Um, you know, Eileen Fisher, the woman, yes. is uh, still sits at the head of the company. And um, a lot of the company culture is a really interesting reflection about the woman's personality. And I think that there is um, a desire to want to share out, you know, what Definitely. we know. Um, and I think a lot of it actually kind of stems from more of a girl power place than like a business strategy place. Mm-hmm. Just the feeling that, um, you know, together, like we'll get more done than mm-hmm. um, we will alone. And actually there's um, an initiative in the company right now called uh, Women Together. That's a speaker series. Um, and Gloria Steinem and other really interesting people have been involved. It's really Amazing. around that same idea of like, how do we come together as women to kind of really create the change we want to see in the world? And I think it's all related, you know, that feeling of, yeah, not, hold, you know, not holding any of our trade secrets too close. Um, we really regularly talk with other brands who are wanting to do this work, even across different industries. We recently talked to West Elm mm. um, oh, that's super just to kind of share some of our learnings. And so it's definitely the reach of what, branded resale, um, I think extends certainly beyond apparel too. And I, I think that's probably the next step of accountability is companies being accountable for their product after the end use. You look at all of the plastic in our oceans and I think you guys have an interesting model and I love the fact that I just it's potential to rise everyone up. Yeah. You know, if mm-hmm. you can share it and everyone can get better together, there's nothing that has to be proprietary to it. Um, are there any challenges you guys face just kind of day to day? It sounded like distribution maybe, or is there anything else that's just the trickiest part? You know, I, I have a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you ask me about challenges, yeah. I can talk about this. Awesome. <clears throat> um, I think one of them is that, again, because there's not very many entrants into the space, that um, a lot of services haven't been developed to support the resale market. Like we're talking about, like there's all these inputs, like dry cleaning and inventory tracking and... Um, I don't I mean, there's tons of inputs that aren't really designed well to support selling one of a kind items at scale. Yes. So that's kind of one thing. Um, another thing is, and Annie, you jump in and say something different if I'm saying something crazy, but I think also finding the right mix of talent mm-hmm. is hard because it's, um, you know, part of it is rote kind of physical labor, mm-hmm. um, sorting the clothes, grading, opening the boxes, hanging and rolling, you know, hanging items and rolling racks. Um, and we know generally what the market wants to do with that kind of labor and kind of where wages fall in and um, the disposability of labor. But at the same time, we're creating an industry. Yes. And um, it, it requires a lot of intuition and initiative and intelligence and hard work and passion. 
and we value those things really high, yes. Emily, and our people. And so it's like finding the right mixture of just humans in the space to do the work with the right skills, I think it continues maybe to be a problem. In the retail landscape, as it exists now, you know, all brands, not just us, are going to have to continue to um, innovate and inspire our customers in new ways for reasons to walk through the front door. And I think Renew does that. I think it's a really clever kind of um, way of of saying, hey, you can have a different experience um, that you can, that is not replicable at um, Macy's or Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom's. And so it's something that we really can own yep. as a brand too. And so I think that um, hopefully we'll be able to bring our collection into more stores across the country in the years ahead. And you guys were talking about the democratization as well. It really makes your brand more appealing to the younger generation too that's looking for lower cost and really cares about where their clothing came from and, and are asking more questions. So it kind of helps extend the, the life of your brand as well and keeps it really relevant. And I think that one of a kind element is really appealing mm. to a younger demographic as well. It's sort of, you know, this new resurgence of thrifting and this kind of acceptance and um, celebration of buying used clothing and because you want to have like that one dress that's different. If you go to the mall and you get the dress that's in the window, everyone else is going to have that dress. And I, th- I think that's kind of, you know, surfacing as a result of this kind of mass cheap consumption that's available mm-hmm. to everybody now. And then so suddenly everybody starts wearing the exact same thing. So I don't know, maybe that's wishful thinking, but I, I do think that there's an element of that in shopping this way is kind of knowing that you are going to be probably the only one you'll see in that sweater because we only got one of them back. And Annie, you said it too, like the, the thrill of the hunt, the, yeah. mm-hmm. the thrifting, like there's something to that. It's not just yeah. to your point. I want this exact thing. I can Google it tomorrow. I yeah. get it on my doorstep, but it's actually yeah. searching for something. It probably makes you treasure it more and gives clothing a bit more meaning. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, it's not so narrowly defining as to what your what your style is. Like when you're shopping with us, you can, you know, get a head to toe kind of black, all black outfit, but you can also get a bright maroon sweater for, you know, and they're 10 years apart when these pieces were made, but you can kind of like, I mean, I, I always call it chameleon clothing because I mm. feel like the woman can kind that. of be whoever she is within this because we're not just presenting like our ideas of what fashion is for this season. We're kind of showing you a broad spectrum of 30 years and then you can put them together and kind of become yourself. And personally creative. That's great. Instead yeah. of like fit this mannequin, yeah. wear this look. Yeah. So that's how the process works at the Eileen Fisher sorting facility. I also asked them a few questions around the dry cleaning and care of the items and how that can have an impact on the environment. Yeah, we have an awesome dry cleaner. Actually, he um, will carry, you started the relationship with him, but it's a family-owned, small, kind of classic dry cleaner. Nice. And they do incredible work for us. And they do massive volume. They deliver the pieces. They move them from our warehouse to our store. Amazing. Once they're yeah. clean, they're just, like, incredible. And um, they use, and actually on the East Coast, we use the same solvent, but um, a solvent called hydrocarbon, which is a liquid form of CO2 and, like, presses the oils and dirts out of the clothes um but it's, it's one of the lesser toxic form of dry cleaning you know the care yeah. care for garments is an imperfect and somewhat damaging um inevitability mm-hmm. um there i think 
it's an area of opportunity for innovation for sure. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we're kind of proud to be able to have found a local solution that, you know, is on the less damaging end of the spectrum. That was going to be one of my questions because it seems like that's coming to light more and more of just our own care of our clothes is, can be a really damaging part of the whole life cycle. So dry cleaning or, you know, if you have any plastic-based materials, the microplastics being released and stuff. But that's great that you're taking that care as well. Well, and actually as a kind of quarter turn of the screw in the right direction, we try to launder as much um, as much of our incoming inventory as possible because wet washing is actually still the most eco-friendly option, yep. um, wet washing and then ideally hang drying. Yes. Um, though at the volume of business we do, we, we can't get away with that. Um, so it's kind of been this, like a bit of a sophisticated process to really identify like, which pieces in our inventory can be laundered without um, compromising the integrity of the garment, like jeans. Yes. And actually, interestingly, a lot, this came up one time because the jeans were looking really dorky. Like we were having a hard time selling jeans or getting oh, yeah, excited yeah. about jeans. And at some point, the light turned on for us a little bit. Like they're dry clean, you know, not like they're because they're dry clean and pressed, and so they look so very they just slack. Look dorky. Yeah. yeah, and we're like, you know, actually, wet washing these could solve a lot of our problems. You want them to look slouchy and cool. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Like I lived love in it. a little. I think you know. I think it's it's a solve in the sense of setting up a system for other brands and other companies to take on and, and grow in that way. I mean, we're making a tiny, tiny dent yes. in a huge, huge issue, but by being a big company and supporting this kind of work, I think that's what's really important. And just showing other companies that it, it can be done at scale yeah. and that it can it can definitely be repeated and that there is a market for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I always think like, we could stop making new clothes tomorrow oh, yeah. and be fine. Yeah. So much. Um, but yeah, any little step you can take to eliminate using raw materials is so amazing. Yeah. Um, what about you guys? Annie, why do you work here? I've always loved working with women and really um, the when we first started, we were a nonprofit. So that was kind of my real draw to mm-hmm. this, um, just supporting local nonprofits through our work. Um, so that's always been a big passion of mine, but two, I'm a big thrifter and I love the treasure hunt and, um, I definitely feel like we're, you know, really paving the way for the future. So it feels feels good. Carrie, what about you? You know, um, what Lila said, (laughs) I, um, I mean, I, yeah, I agree. We don't have a supply problem. We have a distribution problem. And I think what we're doing is so smart because we're not asking customers to give up very much. And usually with like sustainability, you know, there's some trade-off like either, you know, it's really expensive or, you know, it's like kind of hemp and hippie and, um, getting over that perception. Yeah. But for us, you know, we're not asking customers to give up anything. You can look good. You can have a lot yes. of clothes in your closet. Like, we want you to have abundance. We want you to have cashmere and silk, um, but we want you to do it in a way that's not harmful to the planet. And furthermore, it's actually less expensive. Um, prices in um, the second life of Eileen Fisher yeah. are range from, uh, say, 30 to $90. Um, mm-hmm. Significant discount off of its original 
retail price. And so we're really saying, you know, if you can get over the fact that somebody else wore this before you, it's good for your wallet. It's good for the planet. It's good for your wardrobe. Yeah. We like to say uh, it's kind of democratizing the brand a little bit. Absolutely. To making it more accessible to more people that wouldn't be able to walk into a you know, a regular Eileen Fisher store and buy a piece, or maybe they would have to save up for a super long time to buy one pair of pants or something, um, which I think, you know, doesn't tend to be the crush that we lean on a lot when we talk about this, but I think it's pretty cool. And you, and Definitely. people are doing it on their own with ThreadUp and Poshmark and all these other kind of re-commerce sites, but to to own that ourselves is, is a cool moment to invite a new kind of demographic of people into our brand. I love that because I think that's my personal tension is like, I love fashion. I love expressing myself through fashion, but you know, you don't have to wear a burlap sack. You know, I love that this allows you to still, we can sell you a burlap sack. (laughs) 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 If you want it, we got some, (laughs) but it's amazing. You can still, to your point, like have silk and cashmere, express yourself. So yeah, it's incredible. Do you run out of clothes? Like what if people stop bringing you clothes? That's never been a problem. And we haven't, asked for our clothes back in like a big way okay and i mean since the beginning yeah what do you guys do personally or what are tips that you have i think knowing how to care for and repair your clothes Mm. is one of the really important kind of cornerstones of this movement um my kids actually well my daughter um really hard on our clothes as any four-year-old should be i think if your four-year-old's clothes don't have a bunch of like holes in the knees there's that's a problem Mm -hmm. um she will come to me and say mom can we mend these pants and it occurred to me that um it's just built into her life and her sensibility about how we take care of our things so it's like you really need to i think just do it about Mm -hmm. the repair thing just do it i mean and it's changing that mentality that it's clothing is not disposable yeah. Yeah. and treasure it. Um, I'm guessing we're all from the same generation of hand-me-downs. Like mm-hmm. I was raised on hand-me-downs and sewing and fixing things. So you have a different respect than a $7 shirt that, you know, you'll just as easily dispose of. I, um, it's funny. I just bought a new pair of pants the yeah. other day, which I don't do. And I bought them online, which is even weirder. So unlike <laughs> So I, I can't, I feel like I'm uh, lying through my teeth. But I don't, I don't really ever buy anything new, um, and I've always been a thrifter and a designer, so mostly made a lot of my own clothes and started that as a little kid. My mom was a seamstress, so yeah. she made my clothes when I was growing up. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you're raised. But, um, you know, I think, I think caring for your clothes and buying expensive clothes, this is a weird mm-hmm. thing to say, but mm-hmm. when you go to, you know, Target and you spend $4 on a t-shirt, it feels disposable to you because you didn't have any relationship with the purchase of it. You didn't have any investment into it. Like it doesn't matter whether you take care of it or not. I actually kind of believe in expensive clothes because in an experience around it, like if you go into a retail space and you have, or, you know, a a marketplace and you have this kind of relationship with the maker or the Mm -hmm. person that sourced it from some cool, you know, vintage place in Thailand or something, you know, it's just sort of like you, you build these stories around your clothes and I'm always prattling on about um, the emotional relationship we have with them. And you think about like what has lived in your closet the longest is the pieces that have an emotional 
you yes. have an emotional connection to. And those are the pieces that you carefully clean and you repair when they get damaged and you mm -hmm. really love and you keep time and time again and you keep them in the use, in the cycle of use. So, I mean, similar to Lila, I was raised by a seamstress who made yeah. all my clothes and I kind of thought it was dorky at the time, actually. Yeah. But I got to like, you know, design and pick out the fabrics and all my friends thought it was super cool. And I always wanted like the you know, kind of trendy brands, yeah. um, which I did have some of too, but yeah, I think I just, I guess, um, because I love a good deal, I think I was really drawn to thrifting and, and I love vintage clothes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of the way that I shop is, you know, just buy things used because you can, they have more personality and they're worn in and you can find it's the treasure hunt and um, I mean, I, yeah. And then if I am going to buy something, I have learned that, you know, paying a little bit more money for it, making sure that it's something that I love. And that'll last. Yeah. And it's so true if you, if you can, I love the emotional connection because if there's any story behind your clothes, you yeah. care for it so much more, you know, if, mm -hmm. oh, I got this when I was traveling or it was a, I found it somewhere, you actually treasure it so much more than just another disposable thing in your closet mm -hmm. channel and you know this idea that they're kind of you know they, they all have stories yeah. about the women and where they went I love that. and the relationships they had and um so when she's always going on about the guardian of the ancestors you know it's this very fun way of kind of paying homage a little bit to all the you know people that kind of came before us I love that. There's the, there's probably something really interesting there of like the shirt went to Paris with my grandma and now someone else is getting to you know graduate from college in it or something. Like there's just a really cool connection there as well. Um, what are you guys most excited about? You mentioned like there's a team doing some research on felting. You're doing some pop-up markets in other um, cities. What are you guys most excited about um, for Eileen Fisher? Um, myself and another designer in the company are creating small run, one of a kind collections of pieces that are redesigned. So um, taking the damages that we just spoke about that are too damaged to be worn as Amazing. the pieces that they are now and cutting and sewing them into new pieces. So I, I think it's, you know, we've been playing with what's the scalability and can, mm -hmm. can small be scalable? And we're working on a really small scale where these collections are appearing one a season, so... That's really exciting to me to make something new out of nothing new. Yes, I love that so much. And um, just talk about unique. I guess for me, just being like an operations leader, um, just kind of all of the technology to come and figuring out our standard operating procedures and mm -hmm. really um, working on the best way to run this kind of business and, you know, just growing um, and being more efficient, I think is probably the most exciting for me. Definitely, and it's this, it seems like the entire company, Eileen Fisher, we know it's, it's, a, it's a task in innovation because you're trying to redo everything, the traditional model of clothing and selling. You guys are totally turning it on its head, so you're probably constantly looking at more efficient or different ways of doing everything. Mm -hmm. We are a kind of a drop in the ocean of the total world of apparel manufacturing. Um, so, you know, a lot of the things that got me really excited. It's mm -hmm. like the change that we're sparking and the inspiration that we're sparking with other brands who are kind of entering into the space and watching the stigma around used clothes disappearing 
and at the same time rising out of that, you know, kind of new models for resale and um, a lot more people participating. I love it. It's so good. Do you guys have um, anything else that you just love to share around like sustainable apparel or ideas? Aside from shopping at and Fisher Renew, of course. <laughs> I mean, I can say a million things. I'm all, I'm constantly on a soapbox about it, but I, I do think just like don't buy new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just don't buy your things new. You can find them used, and they, you know, the more people, the more the consumers demand finding them used, the more that they will become available used. And I, so I think like any avenue you can like. I'm looking for a potato peeler right now, right. and I really need a new one, but I'm not going to go out and buy a new one. I'm trying to find a good, sharp, used yeah. one. So it's just sort of like challenging people to slow down a little bit, and yes. often with your clothing, you don't need it right away. Like, you will make it through the week. You will make it through the month without that one piece that you feel like you have to have in your wardrobe. But, you know, how do you, how do we kind of, as a as a society, offer up and demand these products in a new way with each other kind of hand in hand so I think that's one of the biggest things though is it's we almost chosen convenience as a society but choosing to just just be a little bit more thoughtful I've worked with all of my friends to just say like try consigning first like and maybe you won't find it and you have to go online and then look for a responsible brand or you know can you borrow something but just even stopping to try yeah. is just being aware even can be so big. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, my good example of that is my best friend is getting married and has like a million bridesmaids situation going on <laughs> and said, these are the colors that you have to get the dresses in. And then like, there's a email chain going around and around and it's kind of like, you know, all of these women are buying all of these new expensive dresses for a one-time use yeah. in this color that, you know, wouldn't be the color, you know, and it's sort of like, how do we, um, I'm like piping in being like, maybe you can find it at the consignment store. You or know, rent like, it. Yeah, or rent it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what are these other avenues for, the, those are kind of the moments where I think yes. that there's brainless consumerism, like I'm bored in my bed on my phone and I want to buy something to get yeah. a little jolt of excitement. But then there's also like a need based. And so having, having an environment and a, um, I don't know, like a retail space set up for both is, is really important. Kind of meet them at whatever place they are at. And, and just realizing there's options. Yeah. I can, you can get so overwhelmed when you hear the statistics of yeah. you know, just how bad it is for the environment and how much goes to the dumps, but I see that there's just so much opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and seeing what you guys are doing, it's just it's turning something on its head. So there is so much opportunity to just make small little changes, which I love. Yeah. Well, I guess I was just thinking about the whole Marie Kondo. Yes. You know, yeah. yeah. Just it's so true. I haven't fully done it myself, but I read the book and yeah. it just gave me a new perspective on all of my stuff and really trying to think about like, I guess recognizing that I'm wearing the same things over and over. And then it's just like this thing, this, gross thing that's been ingrained in me I think just being an American and yeah you just get like a little buzz off buying something new and then it's not even anything you care about or use you know so I think I don't know that was really impactful for me to real recognize that and start to pare down and it's so much less you know it's it it gets to be really like constricting yeah, all of your things stressful. and heavy you know yeah. and just letting go of that is super important 
I've heard them, you know, every generation has a name, but I've heard it's like the next one is like the gen- generation less. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> some people are saying like they've, we haven't really seen that come to fruition, but you start to look at renting, you know, yeah. it's like <clears throat> such a shared economy yeah. and there's more of a, an awareness like Marie Kondo and all these things. So I wonder if that is the future, like that there's just so much awareness that we're seeing students walk out of school to protest climate change. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be the hope of hopes that, yeah. Yeah. you know, you can be okay with enough. You don't. Not everyone needs more. And and the mo- like changing from a model of ownership mm. to yeah. kind of like you said, like a shared economy or kind of more fluidity and movement between each other. And, I don't know. Think about um, you know you live next door to your neighbor and you both have a washer and a dryer and how often in, and they often they're like ten feet apart and how right. often are you use are you using that all day long mm-hmm. and are they using that all day long and it's kind of mm-hmm. like you know. I guess that can trickle into clothes. And letting them I go. do too. I do too. But, but I think, there's a balance because yeah. you're also saying like the things you love in your closet. Like I yeah. have like things of my grandmother's or, you know, it's like, oh, I got this traveling and I treasure it so, so much, but care about the things you do have. Yeah. Instead right. of just having like bags and bags and bags of things that are meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the evolution. It's like, if you look at the arc of the story a little bit about mm. what happened when um, Marie Kondo's, is that art of decluttering? Is that what we say? The, joy- the joyful art of tidying up. Tidying up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like if we can, if the extension of that is, okay, we need less stuff and less stuff actually promotes more joy than about not consuming it in the first place. Yep. And I feel like if we could, mm-hmm. if that's the next horizon of this kind of pop culture phenomenon, yeah. I mean, what an amazing upside for the planet and the people. This is so good. You guys are so inspiring. I love being here. What keeps you going? tell you what I, I made two kids I yep. put them on this planet I feel like a really like I've upped the ante on the need to be part of positive change and be part of the solution and I know that sounds really trite but it's like no. I mean if we can you know if this kind of innovation and responsibility were happening across all the industries yep. um, you know we'd be We'd be looking toward a future where, like, you know, my kids will have clean air and clean water. And so I feel like I got to be on the right side of history on this one, at least for them. That's, there's nothing more powerful than that, too. Can we just leave it at that? Because we don't have any kids. And that's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, always, I think of my nieces, right? And that's, for me, it's like I don't want to steal from their future. So that's pretty awesome. I think you summed it up for all of us. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to my latest adventure in understanding the story behind the clothes we wear. I truly believe we can have beautiful things without harm. To learn more, follow them on Instagram at Eileen Fisher Renew, R-E-N-E-W. And to learn more about the company, go to Eileen Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R dot com. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. As always, the story continues on our Instagram page at It Matters Where, W-E-A-R. Give us a follow and join the conversation. Join us next time as we continue our exploration behind the scenes and pull the threads on the stories behind our clothing. <laughs>